So I was at um, this Apple TV movie last night. It was with Will Ferrell, Ryan Reynolds. Nice. Bro, the sound of that movie was amazing. It was a musical. So I went into it, had no idea about it. Usually when you go to those type of things, you don't really know what the movie's about. You're just going. Yeah. Um, but it was great. I mean, the musical numbers, the scores, and like I, I had a happy feeling in my body the whole time. What's your Rotten Tomatoes on it? Interesting. Well, what's the, there's a Rotten Tomatoes and then what's the other one? Rotten Tomatoes is out of 100. So if like you like it, it's closer to 100 as how much as you like it. And then is there like a fan critic score also? Well, you would be the fan critic score unless you're a movie critic I don't know about. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, I give it probably, last night I was giving it around like a 7.5. I'd give it like an 8. So it's an 80 out of 100. 80, yeah. That's that's out certified fresh. Yeah, is it? That is certified fresh. <laughs> that's like the actual name I for it. Certified fresh is, I think, over 75%, I think, is certified fresh. So it was good, man. It was just like, I felt like at times there was not that much of a story, not much of a plot line, which happens with musicals. Especially with Christmas movies. I think you, you watch a lot of Christmas movies for the fun. Like, I, I was going back and watching, I don't know, like even going back and watching Home Alone I'm like, there's some parts of this movie. I'm like, these, this is ridiculous. This is a ridiculous movie. <laughs> you mean just like the storyline? Just uh, there's so many things about it that are just like, uh, just very unbelievable. Yeah. But, you know when, you know when they have to go back and be like, oh well, I'm sure they went back at some point in the script writing process and they're like, well we have to find a way so that the phone lines are down. You know, and they insert this little moment. They're like, yeah, sorry. I mean, the phone lines will be fixed in a week. It's like, when does that ever take a yeah. week? Yeah, and I think more so uh, now, now that we've seen millions of movies as a society that like we expect things to be way more realistic and way more put together. You know what I mean? Here's another one that we can get off Home Alone. But the, the other irky moment of Home Alone when like they have, the mom has this massive address book that... She's like, call everyone in the address book so we can send one of our friends over to the house. And then the the girl comes back and goes, yeah, no one's home. It's like, what? How is <laughs> no one? It was Christmas, right? No one They're in your town, zero people in this town that they know are home. They have this massive home. Presumably he has a great job. Yeah, I see memes about that too. Like, how does he afford nine children in that insane house? And and But has no friends who are available Flying to Flying to Paris. Yeah. Is like, not even, not, available? not even like a local dentist like the kids dent you, you can't yeah, call dude. anyone no one's home hilarious um but anyway my tangent was that some of these holiday movies you have to just kind of like allow the suspension of disbelief to just enjoy the holiday magic it's yeah. about putting the tree on yeah dude and so, enjoying the movie so it was good you know i'm i enjoyed elf and apparently he didn't want to do elf too because he knew it would be bad be so bad, yeah. this might be his compensation for not doing elf and this like definitely was a high budget type movie. You could tell just with the amount of people that were in it, um, the sets, and just in general, the sounds, the scoring it was it was good. It was well done. I just wish that there was more of a plot. But as you said, with a Christmas movie, what the shit am I gonna get? Right? What are you I, gonna I do? might have wanted like a, maybe a little Hanukkah sprinkled in there, Christmaka situation, but whatever i'll take what i can get and that after party was great man it was very cool it was at the rainbow room oh at the top of the rock crazy man one of the craziest venues i've ever seen it's just 360 right on the top floor rainbow room has to be one of the most iconic places in new york i've actually i've never been i feel like it's open to the public i just feel like i've never i feel I like i need to get, get invited well they give tours i believe of the rainbow they, room well they give a, i think a full tour of like 30 rock they probably take you in the late night with seth myers snl whatever 
Uh, and then they probably take you to the green room. But that's just got to be a straight NBC holiday party type venue. Oh, you know, yeah. like those are the people I think we would use it a lot. Just be executive corporate ass folk. Very corporate. Dude, but deals my, and deals. Bro, but my cousins had their bar mitzvah there. That's which like was crazy. Basically, yeah. what you're saying is <laughs> the cousins crazy. got dough. Yeah, dude. But they do well. And yeah, that was the last time I went there. And then, you know, going back when I actually can appreciate it, when I wasn't, um, you know, 10 or 11 years old, it was it was really crazy. They it must jack nuts. up bar mitzvah prices considerably, too. You mean at that uh, specific Ra- venue? Not just Rainbow Room, but like Rainbow Room... Just to rent it out, it's got to be a super premium. But then when they Dude. hear, like, this is going to be... Oh, it's a, oh, it's a bar mitzvah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tack let's, on. let's kick it up a notch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel you. We can't make money on booze. I feel like that's the excuse with a lot of bar mitzvahs. They're like, yeah, well, we got to make... You know, we're not going to make any money back on alcohol because there's going to be a lot of kids here. So we have to jack the prices up. Yeah, which is maybe an interesting thing. But I feel like the bar mitzvahs has to be at least 75% for the people throwing it, you know, for the parents throwing it anyway, like for to that for to bring all their friends and like, oh, look what look how opulent my child's uh, bar mitzvah is. Or I almost converted when I was 13. I was going to all these yeah, bar mitzvahs. You were like, I need I'm to. I'm like, dude, I want a Caribbean themed bar mitzvah. <laughs> I remember I went to John Elkin's bar mitzvah. I'm like, I feel, I feel like I'm in fucking Aruba. And John was killing it. John was killing it. It was like November. He had palm trees inside. And, uh, you know, they're reading from the, everyone's having the best time. They're like on chairs and everything else. And like, I just had like a regular birthday. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm totally missing the boat here. Where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Boston in uh, Lexington, Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, I went to, I want to say like Baker's dozen worth of bar mitzvahs. And by the end of that, I was, I was pretty well convinced whatever your, whatever was going on with the Jewish folks was working. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Do you go to college in uh, Boston? No, I went to I went to college in Florida. Where in Florida? In uh, Orlando, Florida, a small school called Rollins, Rollins College. College. Winter college. Park. Winter, Winter Park. Park, bro. So I played tennis at UConn, and I was looking at some D2 schools. Rollins was always very good, top-tier yeah. program. Uh, so I looked at it for a moment. I never went down there, but I heard it was an oh, amazing unbelievable. time. People unbelievable. loved it. I took tennis class at Rollins, which was the best. Tennis, tennis class. class was unbelievable. I loved tennis class because the even where you played, where they played D two tennis was like in the middle of the campus. So you went, oh, you know, you're, oh I didn't even know that man. Oh, that sounds so best. dope. It was the best. All man. the chicks watching you. All the Ooh, chicks. Look at Mark, I, nice forehead. I was not good oh. at tennis, but I had fun with it. I had I enjoyed it. I played baseball at Rollins. So oh, I was a baseball what, player. bro? So I switched or uh, between or ha- I had to decide between baseball and tennis. I was like the MVP of my little league when I was twelve, and I was winning a lot of tournaments also when I was twelve in tennis. So at that point, like baseball coaches, tennis coaches were saying, you got to pick one. Very different. Should I pick baseball, maybe? Very different. Uh, they're, they're not complimentary. Well, I think when you play like the pitcher position and the shortstop position, which is what I did, those were my two uh, positions. It's kind of like the, the throwing motion is like a serve. Sort of, yeah. But in general, yeah, the team sport and the individual sport. I really I didn't actually, like it when people were messing up, man. I could see the overhand... Well, it's also Tennessee like, thing yeah, and for, like, like throwing from really anywhere too. You know, it's like a forehand. Yeah, I guess that's true. You know, it's like the same kind of hip motion, same kind of release. I was thinking of uh, like hitting the ball. You know, I when I played tennis, I'd be launching them because I, I was so you know you're used to swinging, but not like swinging. Isn't there in tennis you have to kind of swing down on the when you make contact, you like turn over. A little bit, you know? a little bit of topspin, swinging it through and making right. sure that like you're coming over the ball a little bit. Yeah. 
But like in baseball, you're trying to get backspin, right? Well, yeah, so baseball. I, I don't know. Well, I think it's just a, a lot of hip movement. So it, it it felt similar to me. But yeah, I had to decide between baseball and, and tennis, man. The good so. thing with tennis outside of baseball is like you're winning or losing at least on your own. You know, baseball, like you're only as good as your team. Yeah, like I hated it when I like um, I'd pitch and then somebody would hit it to the outfield and I'd be like, this is not getting caught. Oh, God. You know, like that was one of the worst feelings to me. Like I'd be pitching a great game and then all of a sudden the game would be decided by two errors in the outfield, something like that. I'd be like, what? I played in a co-ed adult softball league in New York and like I took almost a decade off of baseball and I'm like, I'm going to get back into this. And I took it very seriously, but it's hard because like I was taking it very serious, but like my teammates weren't very good. And like our catcher was an older woman who didn't know how to catch the ball. <laughs> so you had, it's in the title catcher. She couldn't catch So Like anytime there was a close play at the plates, like we're playing in central port park and like, I'm like throwing the ball. I'm like, Oh God, are we going to like, do I throw it to this lady? It could, I could take her out. She could be dead, but I, I had to stop playing. I had to play. I had to stop playing in the co-ed softball teams. Yeah, you were too competitive. It's too much, man. Well, I feel like they have. They gotta have level, um, higher levels, though. Of the, I guess, but then I was co-ed. like, but then they're the high level softball guys are like intolerable. You know, like yeah, the yeah, travel I bet, I bet, I bet. travel softball is like, <laughs> yeah, it's like too much. It's man. a little much. Yeah, it's a little much. So Julio Gallerati, my good friend, told me a crazy story that you were telling the comics um, the other night when I met you at your show. You got attacked on the street, bro? I got I got attacked. I'm a Can victim. Can we talk about that for moments? Yeah. I mean, I lived in New York for almost a decade, and I've never had any issue. Like, you know, my, my, my mom heard I was moving to New York. She's like, you got to be careful. I've never had any problem. And you moved here York. from Boston? I moved here from Florida. From so Florida. after after college, I okay. spent a couple of years and moved up here. And uh, yeah, so after the pandemic, I go down. I meet a couple of friends down in Soho, and I'm walking home. It's 1030 at night. I'm about to get on the Spring Street. When Subway Street. When was this, by the way? This was last year. So, like, 20, 2021. And uh, I'm walking down the street. I have the video, actually. Can we pop it up? Yeah. Yeah. Love that. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Show it here. Uh, and then I'm also I'm popping it up uh, right here on the screen as soon as I'll we... I'll send it to you so you can see. Okay, cool. I had to investigate to get this footage, by the oh way. Oh, my gosh, dude. I wish I knew what the footage is right now. These guys are loving it. Um. So I'm walking down the street. I'm just listening to a podcast. I have a couple of drinks with my friend Missy. I p- throw the podcast in. I'm walking down to Spring Street Station. I'm on like a side street, but a Manhattan side street. It's not like I'm in a dark alley. It's just a street. I'm walking down and I, dude, the next thing I know, it's like I'm walking. And then the next thing I remember, I was on the ground with a guy over, uh, hovered over me. Like no recollection of how it happened. Did you have AirPods in? Well, I'm not rich. I my head my headphones still have a leash. I'm not, uh, you know. I don't know. I know. I, that was, I, I assumed your your richness <laughs> with that one, bro. No, I I, I did have headphones in, and uh, next thing I knew, I was on the ground, and I, I really didn't know what the fuck happened. Like, I don't have. I, I don't know. I didn't. It, it felt like I got hit by a, a car. Like that's what I. It could have been that. I remember I was on the ground. I had blood coming out of my nose, and the guy was standing on top of me. And then I put it together pretty quickly. This guy fucking just decked me. And uh, thank God he didn't have a knife. He didn't have a gun or anything like that. But I'm on the ground. This guy's hovered on top of me. And uh, he had punched me so hard that, like, the – this is so funny. Like you couldn't hear I, I My headphones that have the attachment, 
are connected to my phone through that that little dongle. You know the little dongle piece? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like old tech and new tech, and you have to have the little dongle piece. He punched me so hard that he de-dongled me, and so like my headphones went flying. They were connected to my ear. I came to, and I'm like looking for my dongle. The guy's like hovered over me. I grabbed that little piece, and I ran down the street. And uh, I ran home, and I had blood all over me. And um, this guy just randomly... I, I've never seen this person in my entire life. He was on a bike. He was coming towards me, apparently. Saw me, dropped the bike, and just decked me twice. And I was, like, laid out. Twice? Twice. Punched me twice. One, I didn't realize he punched me twice until I watched the whoa. video. One time on the ground, though, or? I was on the ground. Like, yeah, he, like, punched me. Then the second time, like, knocked me over, and I was on the ground. So I got my stuff. I was kind of, like, numb. And um, Did he say anything to you? No, never said anything to me. Didn't rob me. Didn't have a knife, gun. Didn't take anything from me. Didn't say anything. It was like really bizarre. Never seen the person in my life, obviously. And uh, so I get home. I re- I kind of. I'm not. I live midtown, so I don't. I'm not really super familiar with the streets down there. The next day, I put together like where I'm at to remember where the streets were, and then I went back. Like it was like Matlock. I'm like I have to find footage. This is New York. Like it's got to be like footage. a murder scene. You go yeah. back to the crime. I got. I went back to the crime scene. <laughs> I'm calling, um, and I had. It, it was like the nicest businesses around there too. It, it was like a like a really nice guy who owned a salon, like cobblestone on the street. Yeah, and he was like really nice about it. And uh, we tried to pull his footage, didn't work. And I ended up getting security footage from across the street from a building that's. Uh, had scaffolding so it's like it's kind of tough it's like through um scaffolding but you can still see it and i put together what he did he just he came saw me dropped the bike punched me twice in the face and then and then uh stood over me and that was it it was pretty wild and then i took the footage to the police i went to my precinct and i showed the footage the guy looks at it he brings over three other guys to look at it and they're just rewinding it just watching it me getting decked i'm like are you, what's the plan? He go, oh yeah, this footage won't work. <laughs> Why just would it work? It. Just because like they it's would not pixelated. be able to find They wouldn't be able to see, you know, what are they going to say? Oh yeah, we're looking for a man in New York. Like, that's basically what, there's a man on a bike. That could literally be anyone. Well, I figure nowadays the camera footage, or, or I've heard that CCTV is so advanced that they really do have cameras kind of all over the place. But this was a year ago. I wonder how much has changed. This is well, two things going against me. It wasn't a New York. It, it wasn't a NYPD camera. It was like a security camera from a building, and they didn't have uh, cameras like around on that the mid block. Which makes me think maybe this guy just knew that this area would be the best place to do this because i feel like that it was it's not like fifth avenue very mentally like. ill to do something like that not even try and steal something from you randomly deck you especially getting off of a bike was it a city bike i've i don't remember what the bike it's hard to see in the footage what kind of bike it was but damn dude tagged me Tacked me. That's a scary t- tale to tell somebody who is thinking about moving to New York, man. Well, I kept it to myself for a while because uh, in the months leading up, it, it was in the months leading up to I was putting together a comedy festival in New York. And this was like at the very beginning of the reopening in the city. So like summer 2021. And uh, I'm like, I don't want to, you know, my comic brain is like, I'm, I have to make a bit out of this because what else am I going to do with it? But I'm like, I don't want to tell anyone about it because I don't want to freak out people coming into New York, you know, because I also love New York and I don't want people to be like, I don't not want to come here or um, feel like anything could happen. And uh, so I just kept it to myself for a little bit because I just had to digest 
what happened. And I think it was just one of those things. It's just like getting hit by a meteor. It's like just random. Completely random. I wish I could say this guy was at the show. He was in the front row. He hates me. Uh, he hates damn. my jokes. Yeah, yeah. Man, and I hope he was like standing over me like, man, you corny. Or like nothing like that. <laughs> I, it was nothing like that. Spits I mean, on you? Yeah. But I wish How it was How big was he, like by the way? Totally average dude. Like, I mean, if I had to guess, uh, the NYPD asked the same thing. I mean, he's probably like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, like so regular was it, it was a sucker punch, like from sucker behind punch from you? Behind, yeah. And then he hit you like in the ear, kind of. Uh, it was like in my cheekbone, like on the side right there. Yeah, uh, but totally yeah. sucker punched me. Yeah, and like the only provoking thing that I could say about me walking down the street is I was wearing a Hawaiian shirt, and I, I don't know if he was just like fuck this guy in the was Hawaiian it colorful. Shirt. Yeah, it was like beautiful, colorful Hawaiian shirt. I yeah, went to maybe, I don't know. Maybe. That was the only thing I'm like, oh Triggering. god, I gotta I gotta watch my. Uh, can't be, you know, having too much fun in these streets. <laughs> Got to wear the drab <laughs> lock clothing. Lock it up, dude. Yeah. Wear the white V-neck. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I can't wear these Hawaiian shirts. And What were you going to say before you were talking about the Hawaiian shirts? Uh, I don't know. I, well, I wore it because I was going to like a, a tiki bar. That's where we went to have drinks. I'm like, I'll wear a Hawaiian shirt. It was kind of like the reopening of New York. I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll lean into this. I'll get my Hawaiian shirt out. Have the best time, you know? But pretty wild, crazy man. So yeah. how's um how how has it been though coming from Boston to New York? Besides that, do you find it pretty similar? And you uh, did you start comedy in Boston? I started comedy in Florida, uh, in Orlando, and I thought it was it's actually a great, very underrated scene. Uh, you can get, you can get a lot of work um, to get started, but also a lot of productive like open mics and great comics to kind of help you up and at various levels of comedy. It was a great scene to start, and a lot of comics start. In Florida, and they they never really credit Orlando because it's a second home for most people, including myself. So when people's like, "Oh yeah, where are you from?" I'm like, "I'm from Boston." But like, if someone says, "What got me started in comedy was Orlando," and um, like great comics like like you know Preacher Lawson, like we, we came He's up vegan. in the same. I'm vegan too. Oh, you're vegan? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've had some vegan uh, sushi days with with Preacher. I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm eating, but it's <laughs> in Orlando. No, here in New York. Oh yeah, yeah, like beyond um, sushi type. Yeah, he took me to this place. He's like, yeah, you're gonna love this place. And I go, and it's like, I was like, dude, what? I I don't even recognize half the shit that's on this menu. He's, I had, I think I had like tuna, a tuna roll. Was that, it good? It was like, yeah, it was like, I think it was like made of peanuts. I don't know what the hell oh, it was. Yeah, 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 but it was yeah. good. Uh-huh. I don't know. Uh, but a lot of people don't credit Orlando uh, because it's a it's a second home for people. But great scene to start. How do you, how do you mean that second home? I know it sounds obvious, but what do you mean by that? Uh, like, I think when people like make it and they want to say, uh, if they're like, oh yeah, where are you from? And they assume that where you're from is like where you got started. It's like where you, it's, it's, it's the city that takes credit for making you, you know? And Orlando never gets that credit for comedy because no one's really from there. Right. Relatively they would speaking. go somewhere else. Yeah, it's people like are Orlando. so many transplants who are there. Yeah. So it doesn't really get credit in the comedy scene because no one credits Orlando as like where they're from. And I, I would probably if someone's like, Oh yeah, Jiggy, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from Boston, you know, but comedy wise I'm from Orlando. Did you spend a lot of time going into the city when you were younger, like high school? To New York? No, 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 Boston, Boston. Oh, no, just for, like, Red Sox games. So I, I grew up in, like, a suburb of Boston, like everyone does. Like, when people say I grew up in Boston, they don't really mean it. Yeah, they grew yeah, up yeah. In unless the they, like, went to BU on the on the street, right? That's yeah, like they know it. it Boston proper is only, I think, like, 300,000 people. Relative to New York is, like, 8 million. So yeah. there's really not that many people who live in Boston. But geographically speaking, when you're in, like, 
uh, you know, Oklahoma, like I'm from, yeah, Boston. I'm from Boston. Uh, so I grew up in the suburbs. I go into the city just for like Red Sox games and uh big sports fan and still like a Red Sox fan. But, um, yeah, I was like a, you know, suburban kid. Well, let's talk about your baseball career, bro. So getting to Rollins college, you must've had to been pretty good at baseball. Do you have other scholarship offers from like D one places where was your mind? Like maybe I want to enter the draft or something. Uh, I mean, I had some delusions of, uh, of playing, we all do. Yeah, we all do. playing professional baseball. I mean, if you would have asked me through my teens, like my only career was baseball. Like that was the only sites I had was to play professional baseball or work in professional baseball. And I, I thought I had a decent chance. You know, I went for my last few years of high school. I went down to a school in Florida. It was like, no, St. Andrew's School. Oh, okay, bro. I almost went there for tennis. That's crazy. Great tennis school. My parents were looking at all the papers and stuff and thinking about moving down to Florida themselves when I was like 15 because I was homeschooled then. So it was either like moved down to Florida and I became homeschooled in New York. But anyway, continue. For yeah. Tennis. Um, not a good baseball school, but in Florida. So I moved down there. I went, I was, uh, I lived at the school and uh, played baseball and was great. Oh, damn. Yeah, I was a boarding bro. student. Boarding for two years? Two years. You yeah. must have gotten homesick or no? No, I loved it. Really? Uh, I loved it. Oh, As a no. kid growing up in Boston, uh, it was so exotic to be in Florida. It's tough to describe unless you have like that Northeast. Well, I upbringing. think I, for people who live in New York City, maybe they understand the weather sometimes just gets so freaking brutal. And in a place like Boston, um, I, I feel like you're either inside or I don't know, or you can't really be outside. It's so cold, right? So yeah. like being outside in Florida, it's just a different beast. So as a kid who was addicted to baseball and yeah. and trying to make it to be down in South Florida and I'm looking at palm trees and I remember the first time it was like November and like the it's hot out and it's like nice and I'm throwing the ball around and like it's very addicting. I I, I didn't miss home at all. I was like so excited that to be there. That sounds so dope, dude. A little long toss. Uh, oh, I loved it. And the <laughs> the um the dorms were right next to like the ball field. So I was out there every day throwing the ball around and my uh, faculty father was the, um, you know, athletic trainer. And I, I just, I couldn't have enjoyed it more. I loved it. I loved it. And it was like a really good school and taught me a lot. I made some great friends and the goal was to play baseball in college and get a scholarship. So I applied to many different schools, like, uh, Indiana university, like a bunch of schools like Bentley in Massachusetts, but I think staying in Florida and playing baseball in Florida in college was really the goal. And it just seemed more serious and more real. And so when I got the offer for Rollins, I was like, that's where I want to go. What position did you play? I was a pitcher. Wow, yeah, bro. I was a right-hand pitcher. That's so dope, man. That's yeah. really cool. Uh, people say the hardest thing to do is hit a baseball. But being a baseball player, man, I don't know if I agree. I can understand, actually. If it's coming in 95, Lots of beef. 100. Baseball players have that pride of, like, this is the toughest thing to do yeah. in sports. And I remember... Our my senior year in college, uh, Rollins started a lacrosse program, which as a baseball player, we always looked down at lacrosse players because we always thought lacrosse players were failed baseball players, which for many cases it was. How, why? A lot of people, uh, because lacrosse is like, it's. I think it's just faster to learn like the skill of you can pick up a stick and you can start playing and you kind of can get it faster. Where baseball is like you have to, you're playing it like it's a, you're playing for 10, 15 years and there's so much nuance to the game where like lacrosse is a lot of run and gun and fast. Mm -hmm. So a lot of kids who didn't get playing time in baseball who are like the fast kids who like would be 
role players for a baseball team, like the fast guys who could steal bases or like bunts or like be the, you know, 10th man type guy, didn't want to sit on the bench. So they would go over and play lacrosse. You can like theoretically BS a little bit more playing lacrosse than you could at baseball. Yeah, you can run, you can, it's just, it's easier to pick up faster. Mm -hmm. And I think anyone would agree with that. You can pick it up faster. But the baseball guys in college, we would have this beef with the lacrosse guys of like, give us lacrosse sticks and we'll go out and be competitive with you. But if we give you baseball bats, you guys are not going to be able to play. So we had this like tension, lacrosse versus baseball. Anybody in your team go pro? Um, yeah, I mean, not like, yeah, we always had a few guys every year who got drafted. Um, Ryan Hannigan was a player who was a catcher for the Red Sox like probably eight years ago, played at Rollins. I mean, there's always like a few guys who are like in the mix um, from Rollins who are in professional baseball on some level. Was, was there a period of time though when you were at Rollins that you thought maybe you could take it to the next level and go to the draft? I think it was like my first, my freshman year where I, I, I didn't play much in college to be honest, but like my freshman year when I was like getting a little bit of playing time and seeing guys get drafted and then knowing that I have three more years to like improve or like possibly get better at, that was the time where I was like, maybe it could happen for me. But in that same token, going into sophomore year was when it, it slowly faded for me. When I saw the guys, who, like this guy, Eduardo Chile, who was like the best pitcher I've ever seen, the nastiest <laughs> stuff I've ever seen. He was our ace. He was just, he was so talented. And he got drafted in, I want to say like the 16th round or something by the Angels. And how many rounds, by the way, do they have for the MLB draft? Like 48,000. There's a lot. And but more, think, yeah, it, it's crazy how many people they take. But he got drafted, you know, mid-rounds. And when I saw his experience, I was like, maybe this isn't the goal. How fast was he throwing? I mean, he was throwing low 90s with, like, the most disgusting cutter I've ever seen. And, like, he was just, his ball moved in ways i never seen. So what do you think is the small disconnect besides, you know, you say he's throwing low 90s now to be in the bigs. I think you got to throw almost 100, right? Is that, like, the real big disconnect, those 7 or 8 miles per hour? It has nothing to do with miles per hour. There's, relative to how many baseball players there are, uh, say there's 100 drafted pitchers, you know, almost, I'd say 97 of the 100 are going to throw 90 miles an hour plus. That's not the differentiating factor. It's how you place how you place that pitch, which is the difference. So like a Greg Maddox, for example, later in his career, he was throwing mid-80s to low-80s, but he was the most effective during that time because he was, he was almost a surgeon with how he could place the the baseball, like hitting the corners and using his off-speed pitches effectively. That's what makes a great pitcher. It has nothing to do with how fast you throw, and that's a big misconception. Like, well, look at a guy like Tim Wakefield. He was mm-hmm. throwing knuckleballs knuckleball, at 70 oh miles an hour. Well, people would maybe say, if you look at a guy like Randy Johnson and then compare him to a Greg Maddox, what would you say about that? I mean, that's uh, it's a power pitcher versus a finesse pitcher. So if you are in that upper, upper echelon of a Randy Johnson-type pitcher who's throwing 100 miles an hour, then yeah, that's a huge difference. But there's so many pitchers who can throw 90 to 95. There's so many players. Well, how many are there now, do you think, that can throw from 95 to 100? Guys that Still, aren't in the league. Guys that like are going to be in the more, league. More than you would imagine. Yeah. Hundreds. Hundreds. More than you can imagine. And apparently... Um, 
saw this thing on YouTube that that is like the for the most part the limit that the human body can get up to is like 107 miles an hour. Like they it say that Nolan Ryan, uh, Nolan Ryan, before they even could clock how fast the ball was That's going, was said. throwing something like 107 miles. Oh an hour. my god! I, I saw that documentary. I can't remember what platform it was on, but they had a little Nolan Ryan documentary. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Dude, I li- I've been getting into baseball more so YouTube-wise within like the last year and a half. I think the YouTube algorithm has gotten better and giving you, you know, your For You page and stuff like Instagram and TikTok has already mastered. But i um, been watching like a lot of bat reviews, um, like trying to hit an 105 mile an hour fastball, stuff like that. Uh, but baseball, I, it's soothing to watch. And especially like during times like now or not anymore, but like a month ago, it was nice to watch the Yankees. I always love that. It's a, it's a, I think calling it America's pastime is the perfect way to phrase what the sport is because it's a long haul. It's a, it's a great sport for nerds too, because it's all about the numbers and the matchups and there's matchups happening all around the field all the time. And there's so many games and there's so many small competitions within the big, bigger game that makes it fun. It's the nuance of baseball. If you really get into it. That's the enjoyment factor. It's not the fastest sport. It's not the best sport to watch if you're looking for excitement. But if you can get into the numbers in the small matchups, um, that's where the game starts to like be rewarding. Do you bet at all? Uh, I didn't hit. I hit in high school. I was center field and pitcher, so I hit in no, high no, school. No, no, uh, bet like bet on bet oh, on bet, baseball. Bet. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. But I grew up in Boston, so I you know, you know everyone's I, I got a bookie if you need it. Um, <laughs> Everyone is so funny. When I left Boston, I left mid high school. And when I left, it was like all of my friends got bookies. (laughs) Like everyone became like degenerate sports gamblers. I went to my friend's wedding and like where I was in the bathroom, like after the ceremony, my friend is like, he's banging on the stall. He's so pissed because he, he bet on like Australian rugby in like the middle mid morning, like lost like hundreds of dollars on Australian rugby. I'm like, dude, you got to relax, dude. So funny, man. Some of my boys hit me up for women's quality qualifying like tennis at the U.S. Open. Who's taking this battle? I don't know, dude. I'm not giving you an answer here. It's, Make you lose 50 bucks. I never got into, I don't like, I, I don't like sports betting because I know I can't control it. And there's something I don't like to, I don't like the feeling of not being in control. To be honest, also, man, I feel like maybe it's not that much research, but I feel like sometimes for me, I just don't want to put the research in and then put $150 and then it's out of my hands, you know? Like you never fully yeah. know. You can never have enough research. I can see the appeal in the rush, you know? Sure. And I can see the appeal of why people could get into it, but it's a very slippery slope. Uh-huh. And there's so much going on that like, I can see why people have a problem with it. Because if you won like a thousand dollars, it's so funny that you can tell someone who who the tier two of like people who really get into it is when you start throwing money on parlays. Like every time my friends like, oh yeah, I got a four game parlay, I got this, I got a horse game. I'm like, dude, you you really got to check your you know check what you're doing midweek. Yeah, because that's a little bit too much. Once you start diving into parlays and all these different types of bets, that's when you know that it's your. Uh, you, you possibly are slipping down the slope. Yeah, putting down like $50 to potentially win like 2000 but there's no way it'll hit. Yeah, there's like 14 games that have to happen. Like, yeah, yeah, and there yeah, also dude. has to, there has to be like an avalanche in like the Alps. And yeah, then, then you win like 50 grand. It's like, dude, if the Yankees win and there's a tsunami. If the magnitude of the earthquake is over 6.0, we're good here. They should really, they should do parlays with like 
random weather events just oh, to man, up the man, dude, that would be bad for the betters, dude. If the Marlins win and it rains, your boy gets $1,100. <laughs> so what's been your favorite part about New York, man? I think here the, for a while. The New York experience for me has been, uh, I think it's the people. I mean, anyone who lives in New York, it, it always is the people because this is not a city. It's a city within its walls. It's not like beautiful really to look at. There's no like interesting topography. You can't go on hikes. You can't really go on boat rides really. You know, people who are here are here for the people around them. And I think that's what's made living here rewarding is the types of people you can meet. And it sounds like you had a night like that last night, you know. And I think the nights where you can bump into this guy you might have looked up to forever or like – um or, and that's any industry. And that's why New York, I think, is better than L.A. is because you can have crazy nights and be around very, very interesting people from 30 different, uh, 30 different industries. industries. Yeah, and that's what makes New York really well interesting. Yeah. I love being able to go to a – not that a dinner party sounds douchey, but you know what I mean. Like you go out to dinner with friends or whatever, and someone at that table could be – at the peak of what they're trying to do in fashion or the peak of what they're trying to do in banking or the peak of what they're trying to do um, in like even simple or seemingly things you don't even think about like, like web design. The scrub daddy. The scrub daddy guy is probably <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, dude. Shark Tank, dude. So I love that. I think that part of New York is what makes it interesting and why it's tough to like think of living anywhere else, you know? Now, you're married? Just got married last month. Nice, yeah. man. Mazel tov. You meet your wife in New York, in the city? She... Lived in New York. Um, we both lived in New York, but we actually met in Rome. No way. We I was traveling alone, so I the Impractical Jokers. Uh, I opened for the Impractical Jokers at Madison Square Garden, and let's go, bro. That's dope. It was a huge. No idea. Uh, it was their accomplishment, but they included me in it. I got to open, and you know, it was their thing. I was so excited to be a part of it, but it was still. A big accomplishment to be on that stage. Were they separately doing stand up? Is that kind no, of what it, was, it is? It was together. So they they still tour together, and they did a uh, that show when it tours is like a stand up uh, variety um, comedy show, and it's storytelling. They show videos. It's uh, interactive, very fun. And so they sold out MSG for New York Comedy Festival. I got to do that show. And after that, I'm like, if there's any time where I'm going to take my first trip to Italy, it's now. This is it. I got to go. And so uh, I did that show. I was riding that high. I booked a ticket. I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to go to Italy. I took a cooking class in Florence. Uh, just cloud nine. Loved it. I'm cooking. I'm picking fucking mushrooms and making <laughs> pasta. I'm making homemade pasta and bread. And then on the last day, uh, I flew out of Rome. And I went to this Irish karaoke bar with a comedian who happened to be there. Um, my friend Darren, who from... LA. He just happened to be in Rome. We met up. We went to this Irish karaoke bar. I was a f number one on the list. I put down uh, I Want It That Way. Place was packed. Hundreds of people. It's not, it's not even like... An a, Irish karaoke bar in Italy. In, in Rome. Packed with people. Packed, man. Uh, they call my name to do I Want It That Way, and I see this girl, and I thought she was cute, and I was like... I, I, as I pass her to go up to the stage, I'm like, watch this. And uh, I go up there, uh, and I Want That Way is my jam. It's my karaoke song, but that night, it was the best. Aaron Carter, by the way. I know. I anyway, know. go ahead. I crush. I, I, I'm. Everyone's <laughs> singing with me. I'm singing. I I'm, crush. I'm crushing it. Like, 
I know, like, you know when you're having a good set? I was yeah, like, this dude. is a good set. How many people were there? There was probably 300 people in this Yo! karaoke place. And they even, they, they really milked the effects of what after, you can after do. After the song, you just do 10. You're like, all right, I, I wish I could have saved uh, done time. I, I had him out of my palm of my hand. I'm like, all right, everybody, who's going to sing with me? Yeah. Who's going to sing with me? Yeah. Let's and then they go. play the song and everyone's singing with me. It was great. So I was, I had this confidence. I can come down and also I'm coming off of this big show. I just, I was having a great week. So I got the, her number and, um, first date we went to the Christmas market in New York. And that was like, almost five years ago and uh we just got married last month amazing dude so you met her in rome and then you guys both connected that oh we live in new york we'll right. hang out in new york yeah do you she, live close to each other at the time in new york she or was, was like in Queens? the uh no she was on the upper east side i was in the east village so um you had to justify that a little bit you're like yeah she's worth it um yeah it's a straight shot dude, that's train. like me on the dating apps dude i'm like oh she lives in riverdale but, you know, she could be worth taking the one to the shuttle to the freaking First time you have door. to do the commute, that's like the biggest factor. New York dating is like whenever you have to commute to that person and you see what that's like and there's transfers involved. Yeah, and you dude, have to like so go over. funny, man. Anytime you have to go over any type of waterway, you're like, I don't know if this person's worth it. And we're spoiled in New York with that, you know, because in L.A., if you live 20 minutes from the person you're dating, I'm sure that's like very close. Oh, very reasonable. Even when I was dating in Orlando, very normal that you take a 30 minute ride like anything if you want to go to the supermarket it's 15 minutes yeah that's also a crazy thing about new york that is i don't want to say underrated but people maybe don't think about it as much in a day-to-day -day life in new york like i went to la about six weeks ago and we got all these things we were staying for a week so we got groceries we got it all the things that we needed the toilet paper paper towels get back to the apartment shit we forgot toothpaste man yeah now, now what we have to go all the way back there drive another 20 minutes just to pick up toothpaste so in a situation like that you go out go to cvs Get what you need. You're back in your apartment in five minutes. You know, with groceries too, it's quick. Everything is just snap, snap in New York. You can do so many things in any given night. That's what makes it beautiful. I know. I think it is nice. And I, I started during the, uh, when I lived in the East Village, I lived in a walk-up. Um, I was on the first floor of a, of a walk-up. <laughs> what, what, um, what kind of streets? I was on uh, 12th Street and Avenue A. And okay. we always had so many problems with people stealing our shit. Because like when delivery was would come, oh, people could see no through the door. Man too. No doorman is like that's a very New York City problem that people either listening or have people in New York like it's a real thing. Like when you when I whenever I would order something to my apartment, you I'm like, there's right down. The yeah, I got to know when it comes or else it's gonna yeah, get taken. Yeah, bro, that's crazy. And also like the glass doors, I've noticed that a ton of walk-ups in the city they put the frosting on it now, so people can't just look straight through the glass exactly doors. You know, you put frosting door. and then. That'll help a little bit. Luckily, during that time, I wasn't ordering anything of value. I'd yeah. be like, this motherfucker stole my comb. <laughs> you are ordering noodles. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like very low value things. Right, right. Uh, but when we moved, we moved in together in uh, Midtown East. And uh, there's a doorman now, which was like hey, the yo. biggest luxury. And ironically, they don't do much with the doors anymore. Like, no. Doormen mostly They're now are package guys. Now. They are Amazon delivery holders. Yeah. They hold your stuff from and, Amazon, and they'll give you like a nice remark if you come back too late. And they're like, "Oh, that's Mark, it. pretty that's late it. night, burning the midnight oil." Yeah, dude. Oh, that's sometimes a, a, a fear of mine that I would have if I did have a doorman, which is a luxury in New York. But knowing everything about you, man. Yeah, and, and the doorman work very common shifts. So, like, your morning doorman uh, gets to know you for different ways. Yeah, your I think they doorman. go, like, with the union doormans, I think in New York they go 888. So, like, the eight hours, eight hours, eight hours. So, right. you usually kind of have the same timing. So, like, my evening doorman knows, like, 
maybe eating, you know, a little bit too much fast food. Like, because all the all the food comes to, to the doorman, then he has to call me. He goes, Domino's uh, again. Yeah, your fucking McDonald's is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the morning doorman sees, you know, the package deliveries, and then your overnight doorman is, like, seeing you, like, crawl back in or whatever you're doing. But it's it's been interesting uh, with, with that experience. But those are, like, little things of the little upgrades in New York that – that make a massive difference of just like getting your package actually make it to your house. You don't think of, but that's like a real luxury. Yeah, dude, totally. So you've been on um, a tour for a little bit. What's been your favorite spot and um, what's coming up in the end of this year and then the beginning of 2023? Yeah, the tour has been, uh, has been great. I mean, people, um, people think that the most fun cities are the most fun cities to perform. And I think, you know, it's like not like that at all. The best cities to perform are in the Midwest. You know, anytime that I get to go through like Ohio or Michigan, uh, Indiana, um, even places like Iowa, those are like the best shows, Nebraska, because they really appreciate having the entertainment there. And uh, I think the shows are more riotous because like you might be the only comedy show going on that night or you might be the only comedy show that these folks go to ever. ever it happens or maybe they only go to a few a year. And then the cities that are more fun uh sometimes the shows you know you mean less to them you know like whenever i perform in la i feel like this show means nothing to these people they see entertainment all the time so for me i i whenever i see ohio on the schedule i'm like let's go these are gonna be great shows you know um but performing like we performed last month in the uk and that that's always fun when you get to perform internationally it brings another flavor and um up top of my sets I call it my local lore section of the show. You know, it, it's just a, it's a recount of things that you see in your travels or things that, around the town. It's like, I always allow myself five to 10 minutes to like dive into like the local lore. And how much time are you doing? Uh, it depends. Like I'll, I go from, you know, I do everything from headlining to opening at, you know, theaters, which is like 25 to 30 minutes if I'm opening at a theater and if I'm headlining, it's like 45 minutes to an hour. So, uh, but I always try to include something from where local. I'm at. Local lore Smart, is fun. Yeah. And, uh, and it tells the audience that you know, the audience knows that you're in the moment. And I think that's important for creating authenticity in the set and also um, to make sure that they listen. You know, Because people perk up when you're talking about their street that they know or totally. something that's going on in their And it just makes it, and it makes it more relatable before you get into the jokes that you're trying to be relatable you know, with them. A comic long time ago told me, and it was, it's... Uh, something I think about all the time is like structuring a set. You should talk about the room, talk about the town, talk about the world, and then talk about you. Basically like talk about things that everyone can see right away. Talk about things that are important to people in the room. Talk about things that everyone knows in the world. And then you've allowed the audience to want to hear about you. And I think a lot of comics uh, do it backwards. And like I, I hear hosts of shows or, uh, when I'm on the road, if someone's opening for me, and they jump on stage, like, yeah, I just got married, and like, it's like, dude, people don't even know what the hell you're. Ta- you can't just jump into, you know, oh, my wife doesn't take out the trash. Like, no one wants to hear that yet. You know, you have to earn people, t- you, people's respect to their ears that they want to hear anything about you. Um, and I think creating moments at the beginning of the set where the audience knows that you're in the moment, talking about stuff that's important to them, subconsciously they want to hear about your life. And I always think about that as far as like structuring a set. It's important to earn the audience respect uh, to for them to even care about things that are going on in your life. Well said, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. For sure. 
And um, I, I think in general, you know, like when people do go on the road, sometimes maybe they'll get overwhelmed at what they need to talk about if their jokes are specific to that area. But you're right, man. If you just kind of bring everything together in the beginning of the set, you make them more comfortable. It's also, I think you get more leeway at the beginning of the set. Like if you, if you're uh, talking, uh, I, the local lore is not polished, but I think the fact that it's not polished makes it more fun. And sometimes when you're like scattering through different ideas and they know that you're working through something that happened just today, uh, it, it just feels more like, fresh. It's, yes, it feels real. And I think about that a lot. Um, but yeah, it's been, you know, the never ending tour, so to speak. That's what we're all doing though. You know, you're all, there's no end in sight. <laughs> it's just, it's not like music where it's like, okay, we're going to be on, it's the summer tour, the summer tour of laughs. It's just never, you know, it's a rolling schedule. How do you feel about the platforms now in people putting their specials on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, or YouTube? Uh, overwhelming, if I'm honest. I think everything, the, the different platforms create an overwhelming feeling for entertainers. And I feel like that. I it's feel like potentially in a good way. I think that it has made a more level playing field for everyone, but now that playing field is filled with a lot of people. So it has its pros and cons. I, I think I struggle with where to put my attention. And I think um, with so many different platforms, I think, I don't know, but it feels like the people who really are like, this is going to be my thing. I'm going to be a YouTube guy and I'm going to put all my attention in there, or I'm going to be a TikTok guy, and put all my attention in there. Um, seem to be doing better, but I think having all the different platforms creates a feeling for me that it's like, man, I, I, am I spreading myself too thin or if I'm, maybe I'm not giving attention to one platform or another. I think when it comes to specials, I love to see guys like Ari Shafir who released his special last week on YouTube and like, he's a guy who doesn't need to. I'm sure that someone would have bought his special and put it up on a platform like Amazon or Netflix. I'm sure he had some sort of offers to do that. But to see people doing it on YouTube, I think it does create a feeling of like uh, this content. You can make money from a special in different ways than just getting paid from a big company to do it. And I like that feeling of knowing that you can put something out and you can have the audience support it and share it and love it and comment on it. And it can live somewhere that you can scroll back and forth and it can always be there. A little bit residual-esque. You know, in the YouTube, you just keep gaining views, keep gaining shares and traction when potentially if you get a deal from one of these big networks, it's boom, here's half a million dollars, that's it. Well, the thing too with like a Netflix special, which I think in 2022 is like the gold standard. I think that's whatever everyone wants or thinks they want. But the thing with a YouTube special, which is really cool, uh, which has been... Uh, shown to work is that if those folks really love your special you have a way to retain them because people can subscribe to your channel and they can watch other stuff that you have so you know a guy like you know andrew Scholz, for example created a whole brand off of that because they liked what he was doing and then they followed his other stuff yeah. where like if you watch a netflix special i mean how many times how many times do you watch a netflix special and you're like or what percentage of people would watch a Netflix special and then, then go, go on YouTube or Instagram and try and find look that them. person and follow them? It definitely happens because people grow their following. But I think it happens faster when you have a hit on a place like YouTube for sure. Yeah, we love YouTube. I mean, I've been posting on it consistently for probably like two years and it's slow and steady growth. But I mean, I think in general, a subscriber on a YouTube means a lot more than a follower on any other 
I Instagram 100% agree. I think if I would have, well, this is, I'll throw it to you. I think we both were going to say the same answer, but it's an interesting thought of like, if you could have a million followers on any platform, what would you pick? YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. I think subscribers so too. easy, bro. Sure. I think it I think it carries the most weight. Totally. It's like, more traction. You know, like people will watch even if I'm if I put up a ten minute YouTube video and somebody watches it for forty five seconds, I mean that's longer than any amount of time that somebody would watch one post on TikTok or uh on Instagram. So it's just like they're going to the YouTube channel, they're clicking on my name and then they're watching that um that uh video where on like an instagram or tiktok maybe it's on your for you page and you just scroll right past it when youtube feels a little bit more intentional yeah youtube definitely feels more intentional i feel like people are investing more time into the channels they like bro totally absolutely (laughs) (laughs) definitely investing a lot more time (laughs) yeah for sure like putting together videos and editing and clips and whatever It's, it's uh youtube but i love youtube but you can't get away with like the way that people have gained followings outside of comedy on TikTok would never exist on YouTube. Like there's a whole contingent of like girls who are just hot who just like look at the camera with a song behind and it. Dance who have, like, in a bikini. Who have a million followers. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't great take it away them? from them. That's yeah. great. But I don't think that it would sustain on YouTube. That, no. I don't think that that would exist. It could possibly happen on Instagram. And like I don't have any, not throwing any shade on people who gain a following doing anything. But uh, I think it's a different type of followers for sure. And I think when it comes to comedy, where you'd want your comedy to live, uh, I think YouTube, if you had the biggest following, makes the most sense to me today, but it might not next year. Everything changes so fast. That's why I get over, I feel personally overwhelmed about it. How do you feel about VR comedy shows? You know, you, you're on tour with the Impractical, Impractical Jokers, and obviously there would be a lot of people all over the world that would like to see them mm-hmm. on any given night. So do you think that we could potentially see maybe somebody put on their headset in Norway and then see them all the way in New York? Is that something that maybe has been thought about by them? No, I mean, I, I can't say that whether they've thought about it or not. For mm-hmm. me personally, I hate the idea. I, I just, I, I, I don't like the idea at all. I, I don't like comedy is the feeling that you get with the um, connection. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's a very, have uh, you done a show in the metaverse yet? No, no, it, it terrifies me. I, I just, I feel like it's like Terminator. Like I, I feel like all that is way too, I, I really struggle with the metaverse. Well, they're doing um, a good amount of hologram stuff nowadays. A little I don't bit like weird. it, but it's it maybe, weird, it's, bro. maybe it's too new and maybe I'm showing yeah, my age. Dude. Yeah, I don't know a little bit. You like crypto? I got Speed I got that Doge coins. I always keep a couple Fuck, Doge yeah, coins dude, in my dude, pocket. Dude, I have Shiva, bro. Shiva coin. Do I wish you, I could carry a Doge coin in my pocket. Like, I I just think it's fun. <laughs> you know, yeah, I wish there was fun. a way you could go to like a place and get a couple. Doge so you coins. had like the seventy five percent jump the other day. Yeah, I'm riding the wave, bro. Let's go, dude. You haven't sold any of it. No, I kept it. I no I got way. it at I got it at one cent, bro. What? And you haven't taken any out? No. Dude, stop. Are you kidding me? Yeah. What, you have a mill in Dogecoin? Yo, I'm rich, bro. <laughs> no, I don't have that. We said earlier you weren't. I didn't know you were a freaking no, Dogecoin no, no. millionaire. I didn't, bro, I if you I bought it at one cent, though, man, I don't know how much you put in. You gotta, you have to have made pretty good I've returns. I've made good returns, sure, but I'm, I'm going for, like, the longer play. I want to see it hit a dollar. You want, like, Mark Cuban to start using it at Mavs games type. Yeah, I think it's it's a longer, I think people, uh, not that I, don't take investing advice from me. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anything in general is, uh, I think, 
when you think of investing in 10, 15, 20 years. You're right, years, bro. We're in the baby stages. Right? Yeah. I think the problem with all these platforms, including Robinhood for investing, is that like you can see too much fluctuation. And it will drive you nuts. You have to like put the app away. Like When I bought the Dogecoin, for example, I deleted the Robinhood app app because i'm like when did you buy that by the way i when did i buy it oh i don't know two years ago it was er, it was pretty early pre-elon musk that's why did you buy dogecoin at one cent though what was your thought process i had too much time on my hands this was before comedy was back so you know i was at home i was doing freaking zoom shows and I'm, i'm puttering around my studio apartment i'm like what am i you know what can i dive into and investing was one of those things that just was more interesting to follow on a daily basis yeah. like sports for a period there sports wasn't even back so i would watch um cnbc Squat in the morning box, yeah Kramer. and I, I really kind of liked it and then when the uh it was just a kind of a fun little game and i found that's Dogecoin. when i got into yeah. it too by the way man it's fun it's it's like, i would watch like tesla just like shooting to the moon bitcoin situation uh but that was obviously a crazy time yeah so i have a couple little things and i i hold on to it and it's not Definitely not going to, like, I don't think any, it's not going to change my life. It's just more for the fun of it. I like it. Just to give you another example of where my head's at. When I, in 2000, uh, 2008, I had this idea that the Iraqi dinar, which is their currency, was going to revalue, they were going to revalue the Iraqi dinar currency, which was kind of like a thought in like all these weird subreddits and everything. So I bought $7 million Iraqi dinar, which is not, it's not worth $7 million. It's 7 million Iraqi dinar. How much is that worth in the U.S.? Uh, so it, it's like three or $4,000 worth. Damn. Yeah, but I have, it, I have it in cash, <laughs> which might explain why I got decked on the street. This guy might have been trying to get after my uh, dinars. So how much are the dinars worth right now, bro? Uh, the 7 million Iraqi dinar is worth like four or 5,000. All right, so you're up. I, and I think I'm down. Okay, <laughs> but what they is did that? Revalue, last year, if you look at if you Google Iraqi dinar or if you uh, Iraqi dinar to USD, which shows you like the exchange rate, you'll see there's literally a cliff for last year, and they revalued, but they revalued it down twenty percent. Oh, so I think I've lost like twenty percent. But it's more for me. It's it's just a really funny the story. Rush. So I take these $5,000 dinar, uh, 5,000 Iraqi dinar notes, which are brand new crispy notes, which are probably worth like a dollar or two. And uh, they're gifts. So like if I want to like do a funny gift, you know, the, the, the everyone kind of knows a guy, like it's usually a wacky uncle who gives out $2 bills. Sometimes like if I give uh, like a gift or something in addition to it in the card, I'll put like a dinac- nice. Iraqi dinar note. Good touch. And uh, people get a kick out of it. It's like a, just a fun little conversation. Do you ever visit the Middle East? Uh, we're looking to go. So my wife and I were literally might be booking our flight to Jordan tonight. Let's go. Yeah. So we uh, Jordan was has been on our list. Wow. Why? We want to go through. Um, Any reason? I originally looked at Jordan because I was a big, I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. And Petra, which is in the Last Crusade, um, the big stone, the stone buildings that are like into the rock. And so we started looking into Jordan from that, just like a really cool, like wonder of the world type thing. And then when we started looking into it more, there's some like unbelievable things you could do there, like the Dead Sea and um, Wadi Rum, which is like a a really cool desert. And the the cities are, uh, have some interesting food and you're like a couple hours away from Jerusalem or a couple hours away from Tel Aviv. I went tubing in uh, that river. 
like on the border of Israel and Jordan. I remember that from Birthright. That was dope. Pretty cool. And the Dead Sea. Dead Sea is Very dope. cool. So have you been there yet? Or no, no, no. So we're thinking about going uh, like maybe even the end of the month. Hey, man. Yeah, so it's... Dope. You got some exciting things coming down up for at the end of the year, travel. bro. Adventure travel is fun. Very I cool. spend a lot of my like work trips going to places like you know Missouri. And, and so whenever I, I look at... Uh, Travel for fun. It's always I want to. It's not flat landed. Is that something a little bit different? Something different. So we're looking at Jordan. Uh, Maybe um, maybe we'll pop on it and go. But we have a couple different uh, Middle East places I want to go. I'm actually Armenian, so technically our Middle Eastern, which is pretty close. Never been to Armenia, but I want to go. It's almost like a straight shot up from Jordan North is Armenia. Uh, I've never been there. But uh, yeah, there's a few places. I'd love to go to Oman. I'd love to maybe check out Dubai, um, Israel. I want to go to Egypt. So I love, I also just love Middle Eastern food. I'm just a huge fan of Yeah, I like the, the Lebanese type Mediterranean because I'm vegan. So it's like, you know, the oh, hummus, great. the yeah. pita. I can eat that stuff all day. Yeah. Great. They have great, uh, you know, all their salads are just the best. So. We'll see. I, I think I'm going to try to make it happen. Let's go, man. Mark, yeah. thank you so much for coming yeah, yeah, on the freaking Ted Jones World Podcast, bro. Before we get out of here, we're going to pop up your freaking Instagram. So hold it right here. Whoa. And uh, let us know what else you got exciting, even though you did tell us a lot of exciting things. Sure. Yeah. Follow me here on uh, on Instagram. And also I have a YouTube channel that I just I'm starting to uh, Let's use go every day. Fire up those shorts. Yeah. Apparently that's the, the word. Are, that's I'm the word. Trying to put stuff up there every day. But cool. it's uh tastes funny. So the channel is called Taste Funny on YouTube, and I'm going to be putting a lot of fun stuff out there. Absolutely. Mark, thank you so much again hey, for coming on the podcast. Appreciate hey, guys, you guys, follow this guy. He's freaking hilarious. Amazing <laughs> storyteller. We had a great time, and we'll see you guys next time. Peace.